Welcome to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. I'm Maeve Conran. The Supreme Court is considering two cases that will have far-reaching implications for voting rights. Merrill v. Milligan out of Alabama centres on accusations of racial gerrymandering by the state in an effort to dilute the black vote. Gerrymandering is also an issue in the case Moore v. Harper out of North Carolina. At stake there is the so-called independent state legislature theory. Plaintiffs in the case say North Carolina has used this theory to dodge a state court ruling that struck down gerrymandered voting maps. Our guest today is Sailor Jones, the Associate Director of Common Cause in North Carolina. That's one of the groups involved in Moore v. Harper. From Free Speech TV, Just Solutions. Sailor, thank you very much for being with us on Free Speech TV today. Thank you so much, Mae, for having me. Well, we're going to talk about that independent state legislature theory and why it is so dangerous. But let's go back to 2021 when the state legislature in North Carolina came up with some voting maps that were gerrymandered, that really were disenfranchising black voters in the state of North Carolina. What happened then? Well, to get a fuller picture of this, Maeve, it really starts in 2019, which wasn't that long ago, in North Carolina's Supreme Court case, the last redistricting case to go to the Supreme Court, Rucho v. Common Cause. And in that case, the majority of justices said that federal courts couldn't review partisan gerrymandering, but state courts could based on provisions in their state constitution. So many states obviously have constitutions protecting the right to vote. And of course, these constitutional protections would be irrelevant if state courts had no power to review the actions of a state legislature run amok. So North Carolina state courts did just that in 2021 and 2022. They reviewed our state legislature's partisan gerrymanders for their constitutionality And in February 2022, the North Carolina Supreme Court struck down in a historic ruling the North Carolina General Assembly's congressional and state legislative maps as partisan gerrymanders that violated the state constitution. Not satisfied with that ruling, uh, even though the legislature was given an opportunity to remediate the maps, they have now pled to the Supreme Court under a fringe uh, legal theory called the independent state legislature theory that would give them absolute power over creating these gerrymanders, but also creating federal election law in this state and would also give state legislatures, should this case go the wrong way, uh, absolute power in 50 states. So this is a big case coming up, Maeve. Grateful to be here today. But it all started in 2019, really, when Justice Roberts himself called partisan gerrymandering corrosive, but said it was up to the states to do something about it. We are fortunate in North Carolina, our state courts did, but unfortunately our state legislature didn't stop there. Before we talk about that independent state legislature theory, because as you said, Sailor, this is not just about North Carolina. This could impact all 50 states and indeed voting rights throughout the entire country. But um Take us through exactly what it meant for North Carolina to have these gerrymandered voting maps. What's the demographic in North Carolina? What was this redistricting then? How was that impacting voters in the state? Well, we're seeing that at all levels, uh, really, Maeve. And this is a situation, North Carolina truly is a purple state, uh, 50-50 Republican 
and Democrat. And so when you receive maps from a state legislature that divide, as our state did, uh, 10 Republican congressional districts and only four Democratic districts, this was deemed uh, under Dave's redistricting, uh, an app that's been used to draw uh, maps in the state was given an 11 of 100 in terms of its partisanship. Obviously, uh, there are a lot of people with children uh, on, on the line today who, uh, if their kids came back with an 11 out of 100, that would be a failing grade. And so the state courts took that into consideration, the partisanship of these maps, striking them down, giving the legislature another chance to remediate them. They did not do that in a way that could be constitutional under our state constitution. And so they gave it to a what is called a special master, a special expert to do. He was able to draw maps that were more closely related to the demographics of the state. But you, we live in a state where uh, communities of color are uh, a majority in many of our counties, especially in the northeastern part of the state, where there were gerrymanders on the state legislative level as well. So we're looking at a state that is divided evenly across party, a state that has a lot of communities of color who would be impacted by the packing and cracking of those gerrymandered maps. And as a result of this case, we've been doing an educational campaign going all across the state to gather people's stories. We know people don't just vote to vote or vote for better redistricting. And so a lot of people are concerned should these gerrymanders be solely in the hands of the state legislature, they would be unable to turn their public outrage on a variety of issues from abortion to the climate crisis into public policy, should they not be able to make their voices heard in the same way at the ballot box. I want to talk about two terms that you used there in the context of gerrymandering, packing and cracking, and what that actually means and how it's playing out and what it means for voters. Explain that a little bit about how voters under gerrymandered voting maps are packed into one particular district, but then also divided amongst other districts. Essentially, it's an effort to dilute voting power. Talk a little bit about what those terms mean and how that plays out in a state like North Carolina. What gerrymandering, as you know, Maeve, is a complicated subject. So best told about packing and cracking by illustration. For example, in the northeastern part of our state, uh, we have what is called the Black Belt or eight counties where voter registration among Black voters is higher than white voters. Those uh, counties have been historically packed together into a congressional district, part, uh, partitioning off those Black voters from other congressional districts that may be able to balance the partisan scales in those districts and lead to uh, more Black voters being able to elect their candidates of their choice. So that's an example of packing, putting together those uh, communities of color, for example, who historically vote Democratic into one section to leave white voters to elect, uh, in this case, conservative or Republican candidates in all the others. So that's an example of packing. But there's also cracking happening in the state. There are these big blue dots in North Carolina, in places like Greensboro, Charlotte, Raleigh, where uh, communities of color that have historically, or voters who have historically voted Democratic, for example, have been cracked. Uh, there was one instance where uh, North Carolina A&T State University, the nation's largest and oldest, uh, one of the oldest uh, historically black colleges, was literally split down the middle 
So student voices, uh, voters who normally vote Democrat, d Democratic would be cracked, meaning their voices would be eroded and they were no longer a full community of interest that could fully make their voice heard in one district. So we were seeing packing and cracking all across the state of North Carolina, racial and partisan gerrymandering, gerrymandering based not only on race, but on political party. And this in 2022 in Rucho v. Uh, 2019 Rucho v. Common Cause and later in the uh, Moore case, these were examples of state courts providing the checks and balances on a state legislature run amok, packing and cracking voters for partisan gain in the state, a historic ruling for us that will now be up on the chopping block in Moore v. Harper at the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, the downside of all of this is the fact that voters don't have legislators who represent their interests. And we're seeing this playing out right now, of course, in North Carolina, where you have a state legislature that is working very hard to maintain these gerrymandered voting maps. And so what does it mean for ordinary North Carolinians, sailor, when they don't have representation at a state legislative level? It means not only a lack of accountable representation, but in our cases across the state, Maeve, in our many rural hubs, a lack of resources as well. We've been speaking to many people about the impact Morby Harper specifically could have should the state legislature have near absolute power over our elections and our voting maps. And they are saying things like, uh, uh, we had one breast cancer survivor who was concerned about being unable to turn her public outrage about a lack of Medicaid expansion in the state into public policy where uh, the majority, the vast majority of North Carolinians want more and better healthcare in their state. We are seeing climate crisis advocates who are talking about um, dollars lining the pockets of current state legislatures as they continue to poison the water of their constituents with coal ash and other chemicals from farming happening in the East. We're also seeing in the wake of the Dobbs ruling at the US Supreme Court, abortion rights advocates talking about how this would not be a government of, by, and for the people should the state legislature be able to be unaccountable to so many people who are outraged at the lack of body autonomy that they fear will come should Moore v. Harper go the wrong way. After all, Maeve, uh, one of the bills that has been teed up in 2023 in North Carolina would ban abortion. Currently, uh, North Carolina is one of the only Southern states that allows it. And so there are a lot of stakes with Moore v. Harper and giving a state legislature like our own absolute power. But I wanna also say on the other side of the corn, there are many uh, Republicans in states like New York, Illinois, Maryland, who would be equally upset should their state legislature democ democratically run have absolute power as well. So we don't see this as a Republican or Democratic issue, even though it would harm Democrats the most in North Carolina. We see this as right and wrong. And we believe Morby Harper is wrong for our country. Does it also impact people who want to run for office? Because if they are living in a gerrymandered 
district and they know that the the folks who would support them have mm -hmm. been cracked as we have described it mm -hmm. across different districts is that stopping people then who could really make a difference stopping them actually running for office well, we have seen a tremendous amount of frustration in North Carolina, Maeve. I mean, we're supposed to redistrict in North Carolina once every 10 years. It seems like in North Carolina, because of all the litigation and uh, gerrymandering, that we're redistricting every 10 minutes. That creates uh, cynicism in the process, not simply for voters, but for candidates who want a fair shot, just like voters want fair elections. And so we're seeing that in many places, a lot of cynicism about what impact uh, regular folks can make in the process. But we find that when we talk about Morvey Harper and we talk about the stakes about it, we're doing a hundred county tour right now where we're talking to candidates and voters about the impact of Morby Harper and what it could have on resources and represent, representation where they live, they are ready to finish the job they started in 2020 and fight back against these efforts. And North Carolinians are very uh, accustomed to attacks on checks and balances. We've had efforts to gerrymander the judiciary in North Carolina, to pack the courts here, to put in justices who were more aligned with the state legislature's demands and needs. So we are no strangers to this. And North Carolinians see this dangerous but also desperate attempt by the state legislature to take this issue to the Supreme Court as a sign that we won at every turn here in North Carolina. And this is an opportunity not only to fight back against Moore v. Harper, but to showcase how we share our stories and fight back against these efforts to erode checks and balances. Sailor Jones with Common Cause in North Carolina is our guest today on Just Solutions from Free Speech TV. We're talking about the case Moore v. Harper, which the Supreme Court will be hearing in the coming weeks. It could impact voting rights for the entire country. You can watch past episodes of Just Solutions at freespeech.org. And don't forget, subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. Sailor, let's get back to this issue that is really at the heart of Moore versus Harper, independent state legislature period. What exactly is it and why is it so central to this case? Well, the independent state legislature theory or ISLT for short, it's a, it's a mouthful, is a radical reading of the US Constitution, Maeve. It was brought in recent years by a small group of politicians looking to consolidate their own power. Now, this is a French theory, and supporters believe that state lawmakers, as I said, should have near unlimited authority to set voting rules in our federal elections. That would include everything from redistricting to absentee voting, and they would do it without checks and balances provided not simply by the state courts, but by a gubernatorial veto, even independent redistricting commissions in many states are on the line in Morby Harper. Now, in 2015, this fringe idea was exhumed from the dustbin of history, originally rejected in Bush v. Gore. You'll remember that case uh, from 2000 uh, in a 2015 case out, out of Arizona and was part of an effort there to dismantle Arizona's Independent Redistricting Commission, one that was led by an independent process and endorsed by the people of Arizona. The US Supreme Court rightly and wisely rejected the theory back then, and we hope they will do so again in 2022 when the oral arguments happen, or 2023 when the ruling is likely to come down in June. 
And as you were saying there, that if all voting rights and protections are left to a state level, what's very frightening, you could say, is the fact that we're seeing so much infiltration at a very local level, Mm -hmm. not just at a state level, but around the country at the most local level, election judges, um, county clerk and recorders, all the way up to state legislatures who are embracing the big lie about a stolen election and who are embracing this idea around uh, nefarious acts, false ideas around what's happening with the elections, who are then mounting their own assault on voting rights, trying to dismantle things that are proven to be effective and safe, like mail-in voting. So if it all goes back to the states without any federal oversight, this could have vast far-reaching implications that could just spiral and spiral the more that we're seeing these fringe elements trying to infiltrate our voting systems. That's absolutely right, Maeve. And the implications are far-reaching. We talk about this in terms of things that North Carolinians understand a lot about. We have had attacks on our checks and balances for a long time. And in 2011, Um, And through to 2013, there were efforts through what we called a monster voting law here in North Carolina, a Frankenstein monster. It's very appropriate for spooky season. It was it was stitched together from all the worst laws in the country. And we saw things like a strict and racist voter ID law packed in there, um, slashing early voting, the most popular way that North Carolinians vote in the state and subsequent attempts, even during the pandemic to make it more difficult to vote by mail, something that was so important to voters all across the country in 2020. We let people know that that's what's on the line here with Moore v. Harper. It's not just about redistricting. As you say, it is about voting laws and creating barriers to voting. So uh, in January, when the legislature returns in anticipation for this ruling, we expect our own state legislature to drop some policies that could be reminiscent of that monster voting law in anticipation of what they hope for, which is to have near absolute power to install that ba- those barriers to vote. But it could also go a lot further. Uh, it could cast doubt on the, uh, the, the final outcomes of elections. It could be used to uh, provide widespread purges of the rolls. We've seen that in states like North Carolina, Ohio, Georgia, these swing states that are so important. But one thing to understand about more Yes, it deals explicitly with congressional voting maps in federal elections, but there are implications for state and local elections as well. More could, if the U.S. Supreme Court buys this flimsy argument, allow two different sets of rules for voting. I'll repeat, one for federal elections, one for state and local. And that could create chaos for our elections, not simply for election administrators, but widespread confusion for voters who in states like North Carolina, where election laws change with the wind, uh, could make it even more difficult to cast a ballot and deter a lot of people from even trying. So the case could also boost state lawmakers' attempts in both blue and red states to pass anti-voter policies like gerrymandered maps and like discriminatory changes to popular early voting or vote by mail policies, as I said, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. And we really haven't explored the entire rabbit hole of the briefs that are coming in in support of ISLT. Um, They are far reaching and extreme and the justices should see that and push back against this notion, hopefully uh, by June of 2023. 
well, as you said, that's its own rabbit hole and maybe deserves its own show. But take us a little bit into that rabbit hole, Sailor, in terms of just some of the organizations that are filing these amicus briefs in support of the gerrymandering that's happening in North Carolina, because I think it is good to get a sense of how this is part of a broader strategy of uh, these organizations that are supporting efforts to gerrymander in states around the country. So just briefly, who are some of the organizations? What are they that are uh, writing those briefs in support of North Carolina's efforts to gerrymander? Well, there are traditional conservative voices who are speaking out, the John Eastmans of the world, who are, are really saying things like this could not only impact our elections, but the outcome of our elections and give state legislatures power to really impact who ultimately wins those races. We saw hints of that. You brought up the January 6th and insurrection. Uh, we, we saw hints of that in 2020, and this would become full circle. We believe this is one of the reasons that, uh, and you know, we'll never know, Maeve, why four of the court's nine justices ultimately decided to take up this con controversial issue but there has been tremendous discussion about independent state legislature theory in recent years and including around the 2020 election and what it could mean for not only the elections clause, which is implicated here, but the electors clause as well. And so this is an opportunity for the justices at the Supreme Court to take into consideration this dangerous impact, uh, this dangerous theory what it for what it is and do its job to ensure the promise that equal justice is finally upheld and make a definitive ruling against ISLT and any sort of theory that as some of these briefs had said could have implications not only for election law but for election outcomes. I know it's very hard to predict the future but as you said four of the nine justices have agreed to take on this case it's a very different Supreme Court than the Supreme Court that not that long ago threw it back to the state of North Carolina saying this is a state's issue in terms of gerrymandering. But what are say, the concerns amongst folks like yourself, Common Cause, the other voting advocates who are uh, pushing to have this gerrymandered map overturned and to uphold what the state Supreme Court in North Carolina has actually ruled on? Well, what is your concerns with this current Supreme Court? Well, Maeve, as a North Carolinian, I will say that one of my biggest concerns is that at every turn, the state court in North Carolina has provided the guardrails for our democracy and eroded, defeated, or defanged what the state legislature wrought in terms of barriers to voting access and gerrymandered maps. To take them out of the equation would be um, uh, monumentally bad uh, for voters in this state, but not simply, as you say, voters in North Carolina, 50 chief justices have spoken out against this dangerous ruling in a rare move and asked the Supreme Court to reject this, led by the not so progressive states of Texas, Indiana, Missouri, North Dakota, Kentucky. That is because it has implications for our democracy um, that are so far reaching, we can't even tackle in half an hour all the potential harms. But that's also why we believe it's possible the Supreme Court will rule in our favor, even this Supreme Court that is led by conservative justices. Not only does 200 years worth of legal precedent lean towards protecting the checks and balances provided by our state courts, but the case is also an opportunity to avoid ejecting 
utter chaos into our elections, as I outlined before. And in recent decisions from the last decade, the U.S. Supreme Court has consistently ruled against this kind of power grab from state lawmakers. We believe they can do that again. And we merely need to make our voices heard in the court of public opinion all the way up to D.C. to let them know all of the harms and all the things that are at stake with Moore v. Harper. So we are confident we're going to make a strong case and we hope the justices will come out on the right side of history against an argument made that is a historical, a originalist and anti-constitution as well. So what can people do, and particularly people maybe in other states who are concerned about what could happen um, with the decision in uh, this particular case, Moore versus Harper, as we have been talking about, this has massive implications for the entire country. I know Common Cause is leading this tour around North Carolina, but Mm -hmm. what can people watching and listening right now do? Well, we've got some great actions folks can take. We have a a bit.ly that will hopefully uh, come up, a a bit.ly slash Moore v. Harper. We're asking folks to take the pledge against Moore v. Harper to make a strong case against it, knowing that in return they'll receive important information about events and rallies in their neck of the woods. Maybe we're already doing presentations, not simply in a hundred of a hundred counties in North Carolina, but also in states like Alabama, Ohio, Florida, Texas, where there are also concerns about the impacts of this. We need to be having conversations daily about Moore v. Harper, its potential impacts and its stakes. So at that bit.ly link, we have a national toolkit where we make it easy to make sense of this complicated theory and show the impacts in states beyond North Carolina. But this is really about also understanding before November 8th that Moore v. Harper is on the ballot in many states. While you don't get to vote on how the U.S. Supreme Court decides Morby Harper, uh, if this goes the wrong way and your state legislature has near absolute power over your elections, which state legislature do you want in place? In many states like North Carolina, state legislators are on the ballot this fall. If state courts are still allowed to provide the guardrails to our democracy in many of our states, in many states, judges are also on the ballot. Who do you want on the bench defending your democracy? So people can make their voices heard as easily and simply as going to the ballot, voting up and down the ballot on those important races and making sure they vote for candidates, whether it's state legislature, judges, all the way down to sheriffs who support our democracy and oppose the tenants of Morby Harper. I think that's a really good point, Sailor, the fact that so many people um, don't necessarily pay as close attention to some of those local races. And yet it's very often how our democracy plays out in these very local races. And they are on the ballot all around the country this November. Um, You're a North Carolinian and I know that you've been involved in democracy efforts before your involvement at Common Cause, working in various different organizations. Obviously, this means a lot to you. But as you shared earlier, there's a lot at stake here. But, you know, just as as we wrap up the show, Sailor, Mm -hmm. just for folks who think this is an abstract issue, it really doesn't impact me, why people need to care so much about this. You know, I was talking to an advocate in Greensboro just the other day. We asked people at every event, at everyday North Carolinians, what does this mean to them? What does voting mean to them? And uh, one advocate said, life is on the ballot this cycle, whether it's 
clean water and air or body autonomy, these are important issues. And if we are unable to vote, access the vote, and unable to make those votes count, that will impact our ability to change all manner of issues that are driving people to the polls. But as another advocate said, Marquez Thompson, who is out east in one of the Black Belt counties that I discussed before, he said more, more v. Harper, requires us to do more. But the good news is we are enough. And in North Carolina and all across this country, we have to know that state legislators who want this absolute power are taking this issue to the Supreme Court because we've been successful in defeating those, uh, those interests all along. And this is another fight that we all need to be a part of. And so we're doing more on more and we're asking others to do the same beyond North Carolina, knowing that life is on the ballot and we need to be able to make our voices heard fully in every election to come. Sailor Jones, the Associate Director of Common Cause in North Carolina, one of the groups involved in Moore v. Harper. The Supreme Court is scheduled to hear oral arguments in the case in the coming weeks. You've been listening to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. Watch past episodes of the show at freespeech.org. And don't forget, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. I'm Maeve Conran. Thanks for listening.